Go turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. Uh, if you'd asked my pastor, my pastor probably already knew where I would be at. I wrestled all night, all day, all this morning. Uh, I really wanted to preach out of Malachi. I don't hear much out of Malachi. I love, I'm loving the book of Malachi. But 1 John has got my heart. Every time I stand to preach, that's pretty much where I find myself is in the book of 1 John. So we'll be in the book of 1 John, but we'll be in chapter 3. And we'll look at verses 1 through 3. And I ask you to pray that, uh, that God will help me uh, say exactly what he wants to be said out of chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The Word of God says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him Purifieth himself, even as he is pure. I find it very interesting that uh, the book of First John divides evenly into two portions. Chapters one and two deal with fellowship, it's strictly our fellowship with God and what God demands that our fellowship be. He tells us in chapters one and two what it cannot be. We cannot have fellowship with God if we're dabbling in sin, if we're walking in sin, if we're not being obedient to God and His Word and to what He has instructed us to do. There is no fellowship. But then John in chapters 3 through 5, he deals with love. And his whole text in the chapters 3 through 5 is one that has known the love of God so preeminently in his life that he is consumed with it. He wants others that are in Christ to know exactly what it means to be in love with God and God to be in love with them. And so we find that the best word that John can even start this whole chapter with, he said, behold, he wants us to perceive with our eyes, but not only with our eyes, but with our heart, the very love of God and how that God has drawn everything up in himself that he has loved man without a doubt. He has given his very best. And John can only say, behold, he's wanting you and I to get a grasp of it. And I find that we, we so tend to get away from beholding what God's love is. We begin to get away, when life begins to get hard, when life begins to get overwhelming, what we find is that we find ourselves to be like the, the, the children of Israel in Malachi chapter 1 verses 1 through 6. God says, I have loved thee. And yet they turn around and says, but how have you loved us? He says, they say, how have you loved us? They begin to question the almighty God, the one that drew them back out of Babylon, the one that reestablished their worship, the one that began to do everything for them, and yet they go to questioning, how have you loved me? How have you loved us? And I believe that's where you and I can often get very times when life seems to get overwhelming. 
we begin to go, well, God, how do you love us? John was so consumed. He says, look, do you not behold with an eye what God has done? He has saved you. He says, look, look at what he has done. First John 4.10 says, herein is love. Not that we love God. Oh, dearly beloved, we could never love God. You and I could have never loved God. We were wretched. We were vile. We were wicked. We wanted nothing to do with God. If God himself would have appeared again, we would have done the same thing that they did in Jerusalem that day. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Oh, but John says, not that we love God, but that he has loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, dearly beloved. Behold that God has done everything for you and that he has loved you without an end. He can never go back from loving you before creation, before he said, let there be light, before there was anything of eternity. God had already loved you. He had already loved I. He had already done what he said he was going to do at Calvary. It was already a finished transaction. But he says, John says, behold. But I love where John goes. He says, what manner of love the Father. There are several portions of Scripture that says what manner of love the, well, what manner of love the Father. What manner of, really, uh, in the Greek when... It's the papathomies that means from what country, from what nation, uh, or what tribe. Uh, we find that really there's four significant times that this phrase is really used. Matthew 8, 27, we find this is what manner of man is this. I love how Matthew wrote it. He's really trying to say, he says, from what country? From what tribe? From where did this man come from that when he speaks, the wind, the seas, everything obeys dearly beloved? When God came out of heaven, when he spoke to creation, creation must bow itself down. It must obey the creator. It must do what God says that it must do. It cannot buck up against them. Oh, dearly beloved. But Luke 7.39, there's the other phrase. It says, uh, what manner of woman? Really, from what country? This is the Pharisee. The Pharisee is looking at this woman and says, what manner of woman is this? If he knew who she was, she's a sinner. He would not have nothing to do with her. I find that more times than not, we who are the children of God treat the same people the same way. They come in the church house. They're looking for something different. And we're so busy looking down our nose that we say, what manner of person is this that would walk into our, the house of God? Who would darken the doors? Dearly beloved, if Christ would sit with them, if he would eat with them, if he was no respecter of persons, what manner of you should you be the same? You should be doing the same thing as Christ. He says, what manner? The Pharisee, they looked down on their own countrymen. They looked down on her. They thought she was nothing but a dog. They said, oh, she's a sinner. She has no business being here. Oh, let it not be numbered amongst us that we've ever turned away a sinner from Christ. Oh. Second Peter 3, 11. There's the, the next phrase. It says, what manner of person... It speaks to our conversation. It speaks to us walking in godliness. 
wonder what manner of person you are behind closed doors. What you saying? What you doing? Oh, it's easy to put a suit on and come in here and act holy and, and be just in, in the sight of everyone else. But God says if you've got sin in your life, he said you deceive yourself. He said I've not been in fellowship with you. What conversation are you having? Oh, I tell you, dearly beloved, it's easy to get in the flesh. It's very easy to get in the flesh, especially when you got children, when they're teenagers. Oh, they'll drive you to do things that you ought not to want to do. Oh, you want to say things to them. Oh, but I promise you this much, that if you'll get a hold of God and let God get a hold of you, your conversation will not be the same. Your conversation will not uh, rise up in the flesh, but you'll bite your tongue. You'll allow God to shut your mouth. Your conversation will be that of holiness, of godliness. It will drive you to pray for your children a lot before you ever go to cursing them. But we find here in John chapter 3, John says, what manner of love the Father. John was consumed with this. The Father's love is a love that is unmatched in the realm of this world. It is an unselfish love. Romans 5, 6, 4 uh, says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died ungodly for the ungodly. Oh, dearly, it's an unselfish love. Do you think for one iota of a minute that you deserve God's love? Oh, no, sinner. You don't deserve nothing of God. But yet God unselfishly has loved you. As I said, from the beginning of time, He has loved you. He has done everything for you. But not only is it an unselfish love, it's an undeserving love, Romans 5.10 says, for if, when we were the enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We don't deserve to be saved. God did not deserve to give his salvation to his son upon Calvary, that he may freely give it away to whosoever shall come. But it's because we don't deserve it that God says, I'll give it to you. He said, because you don't deserve it. He says, you're a sinner, you're wretched. What you deserve is my judgment. But God said, because of grace. He said, because of mercy. He says, I give what you don't deserve. He said, I give it to you willingly. We don't deserve the love of God. We don't deserve his salvation. We're deprived. We're wicked. We're vile. And yet God so saw fit to give us what we didn't deserve. Oh, dearly beloved, but the, also the Father's love is a unique love, Romans 5, 8. But God commands His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, the quality of His love is uh, commended. That means it's been demonstrated. How much more can God show you that He loves you by putting His Son on Calvary. But then also not only putting Him on Calvary, taking Him off of Calvary, putting Him in an empty tomb, letting Him lay there three days, defeating death and hell and raising Him up again. But most of all, I read what Brother Don Sable said, He was ascended and because He was ascended, God accepted it. And because God accepted it, it's a uniquely love that is perfect. Oh, the Lord gave his very best that we may see the quality of his love. 
Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he had loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The love that he has bestowed upon us, that's bestowed upon us by the Father, it should kindle a fire. It should kindle a fire with inside yourself to be obedient unto God. Own unto God himself. His, our obedience is based upon our love to him. How do you love God if you're not keeping his commandments, if you're not doing his will, if you're not doing everything that God has set forth? Then you are not loving God. He said because you love God, you're obedient unto God. That's the way it works. We don't find that, well, if I'll just half-heartedly, God said if you'll just do. He said, and I'll show you everything else. He said, if you'll just do, he said, I'll give unto you. He said, call upon me, I'll show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Dearly beloved, the reason we do what we do is because we either we love God or we don't love God. What is it that to you? What are you doing? Are you giving yourself all for the cause of Christ? Well, you don't know my circumstances. Well, you don't know mine either. I stumble. Uh, look, I'll be honest with you, I stumble at it. I've got, a, I've got a son, I've got a daughter, I've got a grandchild, and I've got a wife. Them three drive me crazy. My daughter, my granddaughter I love, she don't do nothing wrong yet. But my wife, my son, and my daughter who was saved yesterday morning, they drive me crazy. You want to talk about being a preacher and trying to study to live in that household. It don't work. My son, from the time he gets up, if he knows I'm in my office, this is what he's doing. He's banging on that door wanting to ask me a hundred million questions. But if I ain't obedient to serve God in my study, if I ain't obedient to serve God in my prayer life, if I'm not obedient to serve God at every point in time when he says pray or call or text or check up on someone, then I'm not loving God to the fullest that I'm supposed to love God because I'm not being obedient unto God. Isaiah 49, 15 says, Can a woman forget her suckling child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, God says they can. There are women every day that forget their children. They turn away from them. They forget them. But dearly beloved, God says, I will not forget you. He says, I will not forget. That is a father's love. He says, I will not forget you where you are at. No matter the place, no matter the time, no matter the circumstance. When life is at its hardest. Look up, because God is there. He's right there with you. He's walking with you. He's loving you unto the next challenge. Oh, dearly beloved. Let us not forget, John was consumed with this matter of love. He could not get past it. He had saw Christ love people in a way that he had never seen them before. Could you imagine even the Pharisees that mocked him, the Pharisees that crucified him, 
he still loved them. He loved them. He never opened his mouth against them. He never railed against them. He never did anything outside of the will of God but love them. To show them that God loved them. Malachi said that they questioned, where hast thou loved us? He said, isn't, Esau, he said, isn't Esau and Jacob? He said, didn't I love Jacob and hate Esau? It didn't mean he hated Esau. He just loved him less. He loved Jacob more. Jacob was a trickster. He was every bit of what who you and I are. And yet God said, he's, I loved him more. I've loved him more. He said, I'm willing to give him the blessing. I gave it to him so that y'all can come out and worship me. Dearly beloved, that's really where you and I are at. Is that God has loved us beyond the measure that we ought to be loved. And yet God has so saw fit to keep loving us. And John was consumed with it. Yet he uses the next phrase there in chapter in verse 1. He says, hath bestowed upon us. This word bestowed in the Greek is didomai. It means to give something. It means to, to give something. And when the word bestowed is used with the word hath, it means it brings it into the perfect tense, meaning that this gift that is given becomes a permanent possession of the one receiving it. I.e. meaning this, no matter how much you want to get rid of the love of God, God's love is always your permanent possession, child of God. It is yours whenever in the darkest time. It is your possession. You can rest your head on it. When you go to sleep at night and life is bad, God's love is there. It's your permanent possession. You can't throw it away. You can't sell it. You can't get rid of it. God's love has become your permanent possession for the child of God that rests in Christ. It is your permanent possession. Possession, it is the perfect objection of God's love. Oh, dearly beloved, John was consumed with it. He says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. <clears throat> the term sons of God is first mentioned in Genesis 6-2, and that's for a different debate. But here the sons of God are, are being referenced to those that have been washed by the blood of Christ, and have obtained the promise of eternal life. The word call gives the idea of being called aloud with a voice. Now, I ain't from the sticks of Mississippi. I'm sorry. I'm from the city. I love y'all to death. I'm from Texas. We don't have everything. My mama and my daddy never had to call me. I just knew when it was time to come home. But some of y'all, y'all get out in the woods when y'all were younger... And y'all get to running, and your mama and daddy would have to say, Hey, it's time to eat. That's what God is doing. He said unto us, he said he's called. I mean, he called you out of darkness. He said, come here. He said, I've got something for you. And you wrestled with him all the way down. And yet he said, come. And you said, I didn't want to. He said, come. And I'm shuffling my feet. And he said, come. And you said, I'm here. God said, I've called them. I've called out of darkness. I've called you. Oh, dearly beloved. Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. John 1, 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, 
Oh, I love the idea of when he called me. All I had to do was come. I drug my feet, but I still came. And when I got there, he said, I've got something for you. He said, if you'll believe. He said, if you'll believe. If you'll believe that who Jesus Christ said he is, that he is the Son of God, he is perfect in every tense. He said, if you'll believe. He said, I'll give you something great. He said, I'll make you a son. He didn't say I had to work for it. He said, it's there. He said, I give it to you. He said, I've adopted you in. He said, I'm going to marry you in. But best of all, I've birthed you in. I'm a three, four child of God. I can't get away from it. If I wanted to divorce him, he said, you're still mine. I've adopted you. If I wanted to say the adoption was no boy, he said, best yet, I birthed you. He said, you can't get away from that. Child, children, you can't run away from who your parents are. Dearly beloved, you can't run away from God when he's done everything for you because he's loved you. He's birthed you. He's called you. He called you out of darkness. Oh, Philippians 2.15 2, says, Be blameless and harmless. The sons of God are with, without, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We're not called to be a lone Christian. We're not called to, to try to run this race by ourselves. We've got an individual race. I understand that. But it'll take my pastor praying for me. It'll take my pastor and I working together to grow in Christ, to be strengthened in Christ. I love how Brother Phillips' uh, image last night. I couldn't get over the fact. I was telling him uh, some of the things that I saw in it. But as I pondered on it this morning, I, I got to thinking on those images that I saw. I saw the shadows. I saw the reflections. Reflection reminds me of so many times the people that have been influenced in my life already. Pushing me along in the cause of Christ. Pushing me down the road. Helping me a little bit more. Teaching me something else. Show me another avenue of Christ. Show me another attribute of God. Teach me a little bit something else I've not known, that I've not seen. Oh, dearly beloved, I'm not called to run by myself this whole race. I've got the assembly of God that I'm to rest with, to fellowship with, to work with for the cause of Christ, for one more sinner to come. Oh, we're not by ourselves, dearly beloved. We can't be by ourselves. We're not to be by ourselves. Oh, he says, uh, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. I wonder how those Christians do it. They say that they're Christians, but yet they don't darken the door of a church but once a few times a year. But oh, I'm a Christian. Really? I find that whenever my, daughter, my granddaughter was born, I missed a Wednesday night to be in the hospital with my daughter to help her. On a Sunday morning when I should have got up to come to church, I was so tired because I'd been up the night before helping my daughter with my grandbaby. Missing church for two days made me the, probably the most illest person I've ever been. The illest person. Look, I love the family of God. My family don't understand that. Man, when I get here, <laughs> you want to talk about love. Man, when you get around the family of God, man, they'll love you to Christ no matter what you've been going through. Man, they want to you want to they want to know what's going on with you. They want to know your burdens. They want to know what's all been happening. And what happens is you get around them and your heart gets full and you get to worship in because God has begun to show themselves in Christ in the people. Oh, dearly beloved. 
chapter, the last part of verse 1 says, Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. 1 John 10 through 11 says, And he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And he came unto his own and received him not. Can I stop right there? That's the greatest, one of the greatest tragedies. That creation did not recognize its creator. Did not recognize who had made them. In God in the flesh. He said he came unto his own. That means he came to his own people. His own bride. He came to them. And they knew him not. They knew not that that was God. That was the, the God of heaven that they had worshipped in the tabernacle. That they worshipped in the temple. They knew him not. Oh dearly beloved. Let us not get to the place where we do not see God's hand moving in our lives. Moving back and forth. Look. We, we get to the place, I know because I've been there in the last year, where you look up and you can't see, you, for whatever the reason, you can't seem to see God moving. But when you take a step back and you get to looking at what God has brought you out of, what I find is that God has played the strings of my heart. He's tugged at me and He's pulled me and He's revealed things to me and He showed me all that I am. All the pain, all the hurt that I was holding inside. God said, if you'll let it go, son, I'll help. It's taken me. But I could not, could not get past this thought that the world did not receive him because they knew him not. But that's the problem with a lot of Christians. Is that their life, they no longer want to see God moving in it. They no longer want to see what they can be in Christ. He says, therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. The world's only going to know what Christ is based upon what you make Christ to be. Wherever Christ is in your life, however big he is to you is how big people will see him out there. You show them a little God, and they're going to look at a little God that can't help them. But if you'll show them a big God, ha. Huh, They'll get overwhelmed with the idea that there's a God that has loved me through eternity that says, I'm willing to do everything for you. Oh, dearly beloved, that's what we got to make God. But I love what Guy H. King said about this, this section of verse. He says, put that around the other way and say that if the world knew him, it would recognize the likeness in us. Wonder what people see in you. Because if God, if they... If they would have known God, I mean, each one of us that are born into the family of God, they would recognize his likeness. But the problem is, is they knew him not. The problem is, is they, they rejected him. They crucified him. So it's up to us to be obedient unto God, to love God with every bit of ourselves, that they may see him. Because if they're not seeing him, then what are they seeing? What are they seeing in you? What are they seeing in me? Because if, if they ain't seeing Christ, then I'm failing at my job as a child of God. I'm failing. I'm not doing everything. Oh. There ain't no way I'm going to finish all this. Overwhelmed with just a simple thought, what of the world knoweth? If they knew Christ, they would know us, but they don't. And it's our, our duty to show Christ. 
Verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. It does not even appear. I love this word now in the Greek. It's noon. It is the present time. It is the current status of an individual that is in Christ Jesus. They are those that believe that the sonship comes at the point of death. I'm sorry to tell you, it don't happen. Sonship don't come at the point of death. It comes when you come into Christ. When you've come unto him, when you've believed upon him, it is now. It is the present point. Now is the time that you are. Now are you the son of God. Now are you his child. Now is it time for us to wake and to work. Now is the time for us to show Christ and magnify Christ and exalt Christ in every bit of our life. Now is that time. I love when, uh, when Moses came to the burning bush. He said, who should I say uh, sent me? And God said, I am that I am. Dearly beloved, that is who is sending forth you and I into the darkness of this world. The I am is telling us to go because he sends his children to do his work. You want to turn it around? He sends soldiers to go into the darkness. Dearly beloved, I spent more time in the darkness in Iraq and seeing things that I ought not to have saw in the darkness times. Not in the daylight. Things don't happen in the daylight. It's quiet in the daylight because your enemy can't sneak around in the daylight. But in the darkness, it can sneak around. And Satan is like a roaring, roaring, lying lion. Dearly beloved, we're called to war, we're called to battle, we're called to charge. Now, the darkness of the time, that is where we ought to be. That's how they're going to see today is the day. Now is our time. Now, not whenever you go to the grave... That time's up. Now is your time to stand. I love Brother Don Sable. He's, he's one of my heroes in the faith. And if I could hear him in his heyday. <laughs> in his heyday. Laying the charge. Now is our time. Now. I wonder how many of y'all would preach now is your time. Now is our time to go forth and do he says, now are we the sons of God. So with the now in place, now it's the present time that we are. We rest with the assurance that we who are in Christ Jesus are very much the sons of God in this present moment. We know that an individual that is brought into the family, it's brought in by the birth, by the adoption, by the marriage. That's the only way you're going to be a son. I don't believe in 30 years of being backslidden. <laughs> You tell me you got saved 30 years ago and yet you ain't done nothing for the cause of Christ, you might as well sit down and look at yourself again. You better examine it real quick because you know what? That ain't the truth. I don't get, to, I don't get my time to sit, sit around and pick when I get to go and do things. God says now. You're my son now. This is your present time. Now is the time. Oh, dearly beloved, we are the sons of God now. And I wonder what you're doing with that. John says, behold, he was consumed with the love of God. But he laid forth the charge that now you are the sons of God. Brother Kevin.